It's that face-to-face encounter with God that transforms us. The problem is, is we always try to get things in between. And that's what religion does. In fact, if you go back and look even at the law of Moses, that's one of the things Paul tells us in Galatians and 2 Corinthians 3 about what Moses became. He became a middleman. And not in a good way. He became the middleman when when at Sinai, God said to his people, come close to me. And, and they said, no, 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 Moses, you go talk to the Lord. We're scared of him. Through fear and unbelief, they actually asked Moses to become a middleman. And the only true mediator is Jesus Christ. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth, not, not just doctrinal truth, but the truth about God came by Jesus Christ. And so religion becomes a middleman. It's like that veil in the temple. It even has angels sewn into it. So it looks really religious. And and pious and holy but the problem is is it's a veil that though it protects us it also prevents us and it becomes a middle and that's what religion does it puts all of these rituals all of these regulations all of these requirements all of these rules all of these things you've got to do and it puts them in the middle and it says if you pray enough and if you tithe enough and if you go to church enough and if you treat your neighbor good enough and if you get holy enough and if you stop doing this and if you stop doing that then the veil will magically open and you'll be able to see God. Jesus said, no way. Nine, yet. No, he said. And he split that veil of law, of religion. He split it down the middle and he opened up the way that you and I could come face to face with God. That's good news. That's good news. And that's where the Lord wants to take us today. Now, I want, to, I want to preach from Ephesians chapter 3. Now, I was raised up reading the King James Version of the Bible, and it's the one that I've memorized. So when you hear me quote portions of Ephesians 3 today, it's going to be coming from King James. But as I've grown up a bit and gotten a little bit older, I've really enjoyed reading Scripture from different renderings of the Bible because it helps it become fresh to me. Sometimes you can read something for so long so that it just you kind of skim over it and it becomes a little stale. So sometimes capturing it in a different version will make it kind of come alive again. And I'm reading right now, I've just been really fascinated recently by the new Revised Standard Version. And of course, you know how it is if you've been raised up reading the King James Version. When you read another version, it'd be like it says something you're like, ah, is that what that said? And I go back and, well, that is what that said. That's exactly how it said it. And, and it's just put in different words. And so that, I like that because it helps the scripture kind of pop alive in my spirit a little bit more. I want to read uh, Ephesians chapter 3 beginning with verse 1. And you read along in whatever uh, version you're, you're reading through right now. I'll start with verse 1. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. Now, as a, as a Bible teacher, as a pastor, it pains me to skip over all of those phrases because I would like to spend hours writing all of that because there's so much in it that Paul's talking about. But let's start with, we'll pick back up with verse 5 and I will force myself to move on. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And here it is. Here's the mystery. That the Gentiles, and the word Gentiles is the ethne. 
It's literally the nations. The nations. So that the nations have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the to the nations, to the Gentiles, the news of the boundless riches of Christ, to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities, that's principalities and powers, in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he's carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God, there's that access, in boldness and confidence, through faith in him, I pray therefore that you may not lose heart over my sufferings for you. They are your glory. Then look at this. For this reason, or as the King James puts it, for this cause, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Now that is a fascinating statement. For this cause I bow my knee before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom or from whom every family in heaven and earth is named or receives its name. Now the word family there, I bow my knees before the Father, that word Father is potter, P-A-T-E-R, potter. I bow my knees before the potter, the Father, from whom every family is patria, P-A-T-R-I-A is how it's transliterated. Patria, every family is named. Now, that's interesting because a patria in, in Bible times is not only a family, but it comes to mean a family of people or a nation. It's where we get the word patriot. If you are a patriot or you are patriotic, you love the fatherland. You love the land of your fathers, of your nativity. That's where we get the word patriarch or patriarchy, patriarchal. It comes from that Greek word pater, P-A-T-E-R, or patria, which is family or literally fatherhood. It's also where we get a big word that we often hear sometimes in the news, you'll hear it. It's the word repatriate. Repatriate. Now, to be repatriated is to be returned to your homeland, to your nation, to the land of your fathers. So you can be repatriated, let's say immigrants are repatriated, returned. Even when Israel returned in 1948 when the nation was formed, even before then under the British, uh, under British rule, there were already many Jews from around the world that were returning back to Palestine, as they called it in those days. And then later the nation of Israel was formed in 1948 and they've, of course, been fighting over that ever since. And they were fighting over it before. They've been fighting over it for a long time. But they were being repatriated. The Jews were being repatriated. They were returning to their homeland. Now this is a very interesting idea because there is a concept in Scripture that I'm going to call kingdom repatriation. And it is literally that the orphaned nations of the earth are being returned to their true father. 
And that idea, though it may sound a little obscure, a little unusual, I hadn't really heard it like that before, it's actually at the very heart of the book of Ephesians. If you study Ephesians very deep at all, you'll see that there's a theme of family that runs all through the book. The family of God, the family of the ecclesia, the church, and then the, the family, the households, husbands, wives, children in those days, the slaves that were a part of the household, which Paul was radically undoing and all of that. But those households, all of the family theme, it runs thick throughout the book of Ephesians. And there's another idea in the book of Ephesians that's everywhere, and it's called principalities and powers. And it's only by studying a little bit of background from the Old Testament can you really figure out what Paul is referring to without explicitly describing. And it's simply this. Paul understands, Paul understands that the nations were orphaned at Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel? Noah and his family had come off the ark. After the flood, they're repopulating the earth. And when they do, God gives them the same command, the same dominion mandate that he gave to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, fill up the earth, have dominion over it, subdue it. The, the fowls of the air, the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea, it all belongs to you. Take dominion over all of it. Made him a little lower than the angels, crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of his hand. That's what God did with humans. That's why he created us, that we could come into a partnership with God to bring, to manifest the glory of God through physical creation. That was the point of creation in the first place. Adam and Eve rebelled. They refused to do it. They looked outside of their relationship with God for glory, ended up embracing a false glory, a pseudo-glory, actually ended up embracing death. And then death enters into the world. And now you have Ad, uh, Noah and his family recapitulating or reenacting, repeating the very same disobedience. And now all of Noah's family says, well, we don't want to be scattered abroad, even though God commanded them to be fruitful and multiply to fill up the earth. We're going to build a tower so if there's another flood, kind of like building your house on stilts downside, you know, around the Gulf. We're going to build a tower that can get us up above the flood, but we're also going to build this tower unto the heavens, which means they begin to worship false gods. Well, what God did, according to Deuteronomy chapter 2, is He turned the nations over to fallen angels. And He divided the nations up according to, as Deuteronomy 32 says, according to the sons of God. That's what we know in the New Testament as the principalities and the powers. These are the fallen angels that we see in Daniel. Daniel, when he talks about the prince of Persia and the prince of Babylon, and then Ezekiel talks about the prince of Tyre and the prince of Sidon. Who are these princes? These are fallen angels that, that became the gods of the orphaned nations. So God, because the nations rejected Him, because they turned away from His command, He exiled them into the oversight of the fallen angels, the principalities and powers. So just like Adam and Eve were exiled out of the garden, now the human race is exiled at Babel. And now all of the nations are under these principalities and powers. And that's a big deal when you get into the book of Daniel. And there's this war going on with the principalities and the powers. And then Daniel says, but I see a stone that's hewn out of a mountain. It's not shaped by hand. But that stone is going to smite the image at its feet. And it's the image of the, of the empires of man. 
And that stone is going to cause all of the kingdoms of the earth to collapse into the dust. And all of the kingdoms of the earth shall become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. All of this is in the back of Paul's mind when he's talking about the families of the earth being renamed. So all of these nations are under the principalities and powers. When Satan says to Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness, he takes him to a high mountain, which was probably Mount Hermon. He takes him to a high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, if you will bow and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms for it has been given, they have been given to me and I give them to whom I will. He wasn't lying. He was referring back to Babel where all of the nations of the earth were given over to idols, given over to idolatry. All of the pantheons of the Greeks, the Romans, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Philistians, all the different nations of the earth, they were all worshiping these different pantheons, but they were actually just different names for the same demonic gods. And Moses said, when you worship these gods, you don't know it, but you're worshiping demons. And Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians. When you sit at the altar or at the temple of false gods, you're actually at the table of demons. So now you have the nations in the grip of these demonic fallen angels that are, that are embodying their wickedness by manipulating the fears of humans. And so the earth is filled with murder. The earth is filled with violence. The earth is filled with wickedness of all descriptions because these spirits, these demon spirits, these evil spirits, they're working through humans to get humans, manipulating them. Wars. Tearing the earth apart because of these principalities and powers. So when Jesus comes, He comes to defeat the principalities and powers. And their power lay within the fear of death. So Jesus came to destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and to liberate those who were all their lifetime subject to slavery through the fear of death. So Satan manipulated humans through the fear of death and through that fear controlled the human race. So Jesus said, I'm coming, and when I come, the princes of this world did not know what his strategy was. Paul said, or they would not have crucified the Lord of glory because when Jesus came, he came to die. Why? Because through death, he would defeat him who had the power of death. That is the devil. By dying, he broke death. And when he broke death, by dying, the power of death no longer has a grip on the human race. Now you have to believe it. If you don't believe it, you'll still live as if you're a dead man. Dead in your sins and trespasses. But in Christ, we are made alive. Dead to the old self and alive to the new self. And now, even though we're all still, the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day, though we're all still outwardly perishing, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be insulting, but we're all outwardly perishing, my hairline perished years ago. Some of us have had some perishing teeth. We've had some perishing eyesight. So, oh, oh. Some of us even got some perishing going on in our lower back. Talk to me now. 
Boy, I need some help in the room right now. Y'all all trying to pretend to me that you're still 18, but I know the truth. The outward man is perishing. <laughs> now, the thing though is, though the outward man is perishing, yet I am not a slave to death. You know why? Because I'm living with resurrection inside me. I have resurrection like a seed inside me, and I'm guaranteed life. That means even when this body ain't no grave going to hold this body down, ain't no grave, y'all remember that, going to hold this body down when I hear that trumpet sound. Anybody know that? Going to get up, going to get up, going to get up out of the ground because there ain't no grave. Now, when I was a kid, they played that with fiddle. They've kind of modernized it these days, but that used to be one of them, you know, toe-tapping toe kind of songs. Ain't no grave. Y'all remember that? That's your, that's your destiny. That's God's promise on you. Death cannot hold you. So because of that, you're free. So Jesus came and broke the power of death. And according to Colossians chapter 2, he actually triumphed over the principalities and powers and he made a public display, a spectacle of their defeat. He humiliated them publicly, stripped them of their authority. Now you've got to think about what that means. If the nation, if the nations were orphaned at Babel and given over to the principalities and powers, but then Jesus comes, defeats death, ascends up into heaven, and is given all authority in heaven and in earth. That means that the title deed to every nation was given to Christ. That means that Jesus was given the title to Sri Lanka and India, and England, and Wales, the United States of America. And even though the shape of the nations has have changed politically and with boundaries over the years, the nations, the families of the earth still belong to Jesus Christ. So this means then that mission, evangelism, what we're doing in the world to take the gospel around the world is kingdom repatriation. We are literally calling all of the nations of the earth to come home to their father. Like the prodigal. Come home to the father. This is a powerful idea. It, we're literally being refathered. Refathered. We're being, here's a made up word, we're being refamiliated. I love made up words. If I can't find one, I'll just make it up. We're being refamiliated, brought into a new family. You were born into Adam's lineage. But Christ has become the last Adam, the second Adam, a new Adam. He has become the head of a new human race. So that when you are born again, you are being born into a new family. And baptism, it is many things, but one thing your baptism is, is a citizenship ceremony. You are actually receiving not only the name of Jesus, you are receiving your new name. Jesus said to him that overcomers will I give, and we are overcomers in Christ already. So it's, it's your promise, receive it. To him that overcomes will I give a 
new name. You don't know this, but in heaven, you're known by a completely different name. If your name is Bill in heaven, you're known by a completely different name. And it is a name that is tied directly to the original identity that God created you to live out. It's tied to who you are. Sort of like the, the first people, the Native Americans, when they would name a child, it was after having discovered at age 12 or 13 a particular skill or, or propensity or or a talent or ability, and then they would name that child to bring out that identity. We see that even in the Bible. In fact, Jacob, which means deceiver, supplanter, when he met face to face with God, what did he receive? A new name. So when Paul says, for this reason I bow my knee before the, the potter, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom every family in heaven, that means all the ranks of angels, and every family in earth, all the ranks of humans, all of the families of heaven and earth are being renamed. This means that Jesus has looked at the principalities and powers and said, your lease has expired. Your contract is over. Your authority over the nations is done. Now, all of the nations of the earth belong to me. This is why it was inevitable that the gospel should go to the house of Cornelius. The problem was the Jewish Christians in, in Jerusalem were so locked in their mindset that only Israel had salvation that they were unwilling to take it outside their boundaries to the ethne, to the nation. God sent an angel and God brought Cornelius in. And that entire experience in, in Acts chapter 10 and the following chapters is the gospel of Jesus going to all the nations. Why? Because the nations are the inheritance of Jesus Christ. Psalm 2, he said, ask of me, I will give you the heathen for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And when Jesus ascended up on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts to men, he made a public spectacle of all of the false gods of all the nations and said, you're all lying images. None of you are true gods. I am the only God. My father is the only father of all the nations and all of the nations shall be renamed, repatriated, refathered, refamiliated. And all of the nations of the earth are coming into the one body of Christ. That's powerful. And that's what we're doing when we do mission. We are claiming for Christ His inheritance. He says, you shall receive power. Now, if you were like me, I came from a Pentecostal background. That's the way I was raised up. We loved Acts 1 and 8. You shall re And you have to say it right. You have to say it right. You shall receive power. Anybody remember R.W. Shambach? Power hour. The hour of power. He was, and he was a powerful preacher, actually. My wife, as a little girl, went to a Shambach revival, and she got just blown away in the Holy Ghost. It changed her life forever. She still loves Brother Shambach. I was raised up, you know, in that, that power verse. We love that. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's pretty much where we stop. But the verse goes on. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. What? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Ask of me, I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. Jesus was saying to his disciples, go claim my inheritance. I don't have time to preach on this today. This has to be another time. But when Paul said in Ephesians that we've been raised up and seated together with Christ in heavenly places, he means that we have become his divine counsel. We have become the heavenly ecclesia where we are gathered together, saints and angels, all the saints and angels, right? We've become saints and angels gathered together in one divine counsel. We have become God's government on the earth. The ecclesia, we call it the church. We think church is religious, but really it's more governmental. I'm saying it real fast because we don't have time. But the ecclesia is meant to be the government of Jesus, which means we sit with Christ in heavenly places upon his throne with his father and we rule in the nations, which means in Clarksville, Indiana, Return Church has authority. And we're looking at the principalities and powers in this region and saying, Clarksville doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to Christ. And then we gather together. You've been made to sit together in heavenly places. You have come to the heavenly city of the New Jerusalem, the Mount Zion, to the church of the firstborn, to an innumerable company of angels, to the spirits of just men made perfect. If you think about where we are right now, we're a part of that Jerusalem which is above, which is the mother of us all, and we're seated in this ecclesia right now as the parliament of King Jesus. And parliament is in session. And what I am declaring right now is an authoritative, legal, official declaration of the government of King Jesus. Be it resolved. That's the way we should do church when we gather. Be it resolved. We are passing laws. We are uttering decrees. We're telling the devil, get back, Jack. Hit the road, Jack. Don't come back no more. Some of you need to sing that to the enemy. Don't make me go Ray Charles on y'all this morning. I, I just don't need to do that. Now, now, here's the point of all of it. Here's the point of all of it. And again, I'm skimming for the sake of time. But if you look through Ephesians, you see Jesus in his victory over the principalities and powers. You see Acts chapter 2, those dead in sins and trespasses made whole and brought into the family of God. Made the habitation of God through the Spirit in the new temple. Chapter 3, he hinges all of that together and he moves into chapter 4 into what we call the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, growing up into its authority, into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, until we come into the full authority of our dominion, until we rule and reign with Christ in the earth and know who we are and rule together with him and bind every spirit that seeks to bind humans. We say to every evil spirit, your authority has been canceled. The original cancel culture was Jesus on the cross saying the principalities and powers are canceled. Yeah, he took their authority and we have to know that or we will not operate in it. But then he goes on to the, not only the ecclesia, but then into chapter 4 and then down into chapter 5 all the way into chapter 6. Then it becomes the transformation of the household. Everyone submit to one another. Wives to your husbands. Husbands love your wives, children. And even in the slaves. Now you have to understand, Paul was not for slavery, neither was he for the subjugation of women. 
When Paul talks about all of this in these passages, he is sowing the leaven of the gospel into the household codes of ancient Rome. And he is declaring that there is a transformation coming through the kingdom that is going to set the slave free and is going to bring the woman into equality. Amen. I'm just telling you, I'm not here. I don't have time to prove it, but I've done my homework. Spend some time in it. I know what I'm talking about. Paul was not saying this is what things should look like forever. He was saying when you inject the love of Christ into these household codes, it's going to begin to change from the inside out. It was submission as subversion. Does anybody feel right now that I'm really wanting to stop and talk about that? Y'all feel that? But I'm not going to. I'm going to be very disciplined right now. And I'm moving on because i got to wrap this up. You guys want lunch. I can feel it. My spirit bears witness with your spirit. We're all hungry. But listen, but we got to get this because we're hungry for this more than we are our natural food. Everything that Paul describes, and you've got to see the full sweep of Ephesians. Jesus ascending above the principalities and powers, him enlivening our dead and hearts, him bringing us into the ecclesia, growing us up into our authority, and then transforming the household that then transforms human culture. So that those who stole steal no more. They labor working with their hands. There's no more lying to one. He transforms culture. Which is the goal that the world changed people. Changed the world. And then we end up in chapter 6 with. Be strong in the Lord. The power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. For We are not wrestling. What? With flesh and blood. But with principalities and powers with the rulers of the darkness of this world, with spiritual wickedness in high places. He's right back where he started. And he's saying that through this process, these evil powers are dethroned. They are displaced. And in its place, the ecclesia operates with authority for a community to bring deliverance and healing and salvation into a community that has been oppressed by the devil. It all begins in chapter 3 with the bowed knee. For this cause, I bow my knee before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it all starts the refathering of the nations, the repatriation of the nations, the big picture hope of Christian mission. It all begins with the refathering of the human heart. And what God is releasing at Return Church today is a return to the Father. All of us have different experiences. We all have different things that have misshaped and distorted and even corrupted our perception of God. All of us. There's not a human that is born and lives their whole life seeing God purely and perfectly. It's impossible. Flesh distorts the vision of God. The Bible calls the flesh the veil. And until that veil is torn and we enter in face to face with the Father, our flesh will always distort God. This is why the, Paul said the law was good. But what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see that? The flesh is a problem. 
And all of us, because of our religious experience, we have believed things about God that are not true. We believe things about God that are lies about Him. I'm writing a book I'm going to finish one of these days called Big Fat Lies. Big Fat Lies. From the very beginning, the fall of man didn't begin with the apple. And it probably wasn't even an apple. We don't know. Makes a great picture on the front of a book, though, I'll tell you that. It wasn't, it didn't begin with the apple. It began with the lie. Did God say? And out of that lie, humans have believed lies about God, lies about themselves, and lies about others. And we have lived in a web of lies. And even if you have, as I did, a wonderful natural father, because you were born in the flesh, your natural fatherhood always ends up providing a distorted view of God. I remember when the Lord told me one time when I was very concerned about being a good father, He said to me, Steve, you don't have to be a perfect father. He said, all I need you to be is a father that points your children to the father. Because the only real achievement I have as a father is to get my kids to the father. Because when they see me, they're going to see distortions of Him. And when they see religion, they're going to see distortions of Him. When they see me, they're going to see broken, fragmented, fractured visions of God. But if I can somehow, even in my brokenness, by modeling repentance, if I can get my children to, for this cause I love them, to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if I can get their knees before the Father, and if they can encounter Him face to face, then the Father will reveal Himself for who He is in Christ. And it's Christ who is the perfect revelation of the Father reason I'm preaching this is because this church is going to become a hub, a center of repatriation. And I don't just mean world missions, but I mean the repatriation of Bill and Bob and Joe and Jim and Sally and Susie and Sarah and Linda. I'm talking about individuals whose hearts have been orphaned, who are returned to the Father, the name Return Church is divinely assigned. I don't even know where the name came from. I don't know the story behind it. I don't know any of that. But I'm telling you, Return to the Father is going to become a keystone. It's going to become a cornerstone. It's going to become very central to what this church is all about. And I don't know you. I don't know what you may have already been talking about this. I don't know. But I'm telling you what I know in the Spirit. Almighty God says this church is going to become a portal through which the face of God will be revealed in Jesus Christ. Yes. Stand with me, everyone. Now, we tend to stand and our ears go off. Don't turn your ears off as you stand with me because I'm not done. I'm just, this lets you know, this gives you hope that I'm wrapping it up. But listen to me very carefully. Every one of us in this room, we have lived with an orphaned heart. An orphaned heart. As I said, I had a wonderful, wonderful natural father. But I was orphaned and I didn't even know it. And I remember an encounter that I had with God. 
when I was so, I felt so betrayed by God. I had, I had held my pretense of, of fearing the Lord and serving the Lord together until I couldn't hold it together anymore. And I was so angry with God for a particular situation that was the culmination of years of trauma. And then there was a particular situation that He let me go through. He didn't cause it, but I thought He did. And I was very angry with Him. And I remember being so angry that I believe it was a, it was a Tuesday night. I was sitting in the chair in my bedroom and I was so angry with God that I honestly did not believe I would be a believer in the morning. I was that broken. And I was... I'm sorry, I'm being very transparent with you. You just have to, just have to process. I was yelling, I was screaming, I was upset. I was very, very angry with the Lord. And I said to God, I would not do to a dog what you've done to me. I don't know how I can serve you when you're so mean, you're so harsh, and you're so unkind, and you have all the power. And you sit up in your heavens and you look down at me like a little infant begging for a morsel of food and you won't do anything to help me. And I resent the fact that you're God and I'm not. You have all the power and I don't have any and I don't like it. And I was just very, very angry and I was talking with the Lord about it. And I honestly, I did not know if my faith would survive. My wife went to prayer and she began to call friends. The Lord brought me through that I was very bruised. For, for weeks, I was numb. But I remember maybe three or four weeks later, a couple weeks later, I started feeling alive again. and I felt the presence of the Lord very near. And that just broke me. I, I felt like He should be as mad at me as I was at Him. And I said to Him, Lord, why are You coming near to me? Why do I feel Your love? Right now, what I should feel is I need a good whooping. What I should be feeling is you're chastening. Why am I feeling your love? And he said to me, because the God you were angry at wasn't me. The God you were angry at was the God you had formed out of your lifetime of religion. And he said, in fact, the anger that you felt was my Holy Spirit inside you because nothing makes me angrier than idols because they distort the truth about who I am. And he said, I wanted to go after that false belief that you had about me. The fact that you would think that I was mean, that I was harsh, that I was unkind, that I was demanding, that I was all justice. He said, I wanted you to know my love. And so I rose up inside you and I shattered the idol, the lying image in your mind. And can I tell you, that day, in several years now, that day he broke the false concept. It's not to say that I'm not still learning about God. I am. But I, I just don't see God that way anymore. I just don't see Him as harsh. I had such a view of God's sovereignty that I actually didn't like Him. I love Jesus, but not God. Now sort that out, because I know Jesus is the embodiment of God. I know that. But I still, I, I had it all mixed up in my head. And I remember coming out of that and how every day was a revelation of the Father. He brought me face to face with Him. 
And he said, let me show you who I really am. I release that over you in the mighty name of Jesus. If you'd like to receive that, can you just put your hands out in front of you like you're getting a gift right now? And I'm just going to declare over you right now in the name of Jesus that there is a revelation of the true nature of the Father that is being released over you. And for those of you who have already been on that journey, I say accelerate, accelerate, deepen, quicken in the name of Jesus. Let the next days and weeks and months be filled with revelations of the Father. Do you receive it? Are you ready to be refathered? Anybody ready to be refathered? Some of you who had an earthly father that was very abusive, I want you to know that that's not who God is. God breaks those lies off of your mind right now in the name of Jesus. I say they're gone in the name of Jesus. Be broken. I declare over you right now that you are free. I declare that the lies that you internalized about who you are, the, the words, the harsh and hateful words that were spoken over you that have made you believe that you were a loser, that you were a liar, that you were whatever was spoken over you. In the name of Jesus, I break those lies through the power of the Holy Spirit. I break those lies off of your mind. And I say, return to the Father. Return to the Father. If there's anyone right now that would like to step out of where you're standing and just physically model that you're going to return, that you're coming close, closer than ever before. If you'd like to step out and come forward, you're welcome to do so. Now, if you're more comfortable remaining where you are, that's fine. God's there too. This is just simply a way of physically demonstrating I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. I'm stepping out of my routine. And maybe some of you might need to do this right now just to step out and come forward and say today is a new day starting now i'm going to know the father i'm going to know the truth about god like i've never known him before in the mighty name of jesus